You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the completion, the full realization of all of the promise and potential of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. Uh, as I say in the introduction to the show, of course, the Catholic Church is the completion or the fulfillment of Judaism, and therefore, when a Jewish person enters the Catholic Church, they are in fact not converting at all. They are following the same religion. They are simply following the religion in its transition from the first stage, which was Judaism, into the second stage, which is the Catholic Church. Uh, of course, the Judaism was transformed into the Catholic Church at the time of the central event of creation history, which was the incarnation of God as a man, which, of course, was Jesus Christ, the, the man God. And when God incarnated as a man, he incarnated as a Jewish man as the fulfillment of Judaism. For, in fact, all of Judaism was about bringing about the incarnation of God as man and therefore making the transition between the first phase of the relationship between mankind and God, which is reflected before the coming of Christianity and is reflected in its fullest form in Judaism, and the second phase, the fulfilled phase, which is Christianity and in particular Catholicism. So a Jew who enters the Catholic Church or a Jew who becomes Christian isn't changing religions. He is simply going from, he's just simply following the religion in the change that the religion itself underwent. And I say all of that by way of a bit of introduction to two Jewish quote, converts, close quotes, who I will talk about today, uh, if I have time to reach the second, otherwise I will save him for a later day. But they are both very, uh, very high-profile Jewish converts in the Catholic Church. The first one I will be talking about is Rabbi Zoli, who was the chief rabbi of Rome at the time of the World War II, at the time of the Holocaust, and he, in fact, became a Catholic and a very uh, enthusiastic Catholic, and he has written very beautifully about his conversion or not non-conversion and the transformation of Judaism into the Catholic Church. So I will be reading a small section from my book, Salvation is from the Jews, which is essentially an account of the conversion of Rabbi Zoli. And then, as time allows, I will be talking a bit about Cardinal Lustiger, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris, uh, who passed away just a few years ago, passed away in 2007, and for a good long time, for about uh, 15 years, I believe, he was the, actually for longer than that, for 25 years, he had been the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris, and he too was a Jewish convert, um, a, a Jewish boy who entered the Catholic Church around the time of the Holocaust. And he wrote very, very beautifully about not being a convert at all, but simply following Judaism into its fulfillment. So, But I have to begin with one of those two, so I will begin with Rabbi Zoli, a reading from Salvation is from the Jews, um, beginning around page 334. So the conversion of Rabbi Zoli. 
One of the best-known Jewish, quote, conversions, close quote, of modern times is that of Rabbi Zoli, the former chief rabbi of Rome. He was born Israel Zoli in 1881 in Galatia on the border between Poland and Austria. He was the youngest of five children in a wealthy culture Jewish family. His mother came from a line of over two centuries of learned rabbis. Israel followed in those august footsteps, going three days a week to a Jewish religious school, in addition to attending the ordinary elementary school. He was friends with a Catholic boy with whom he would sometimes do his homework. They would work together in the one main room of the boy's house at the dining table beneath a large crucifix. That experience at about eight years of age marked him deeply. As he later wrote, quote, It seemed that in that white room and in the presence of the crucifix, one could not help being serene, gentle, and good. Sometimes, I do not know why, I would raise my eyes to that crucifix and gaze for a long time at the figure hanging there. This contemplation, if I may call it that without exaggeration, was not done without a stirring of my spirit. Why was this man crucified, I asked myself. Why did so many people follow him if he was so wicked? Why are the people who follow this crucified one so good and they adore this crucified one? Why do we boys become so different in the presence of this crucifix? This crucified one, moreover, awakened in me a sense of great compassion. I had the same strong impression of his innocence as of his pain. He was in agony. He does not cry out in his pain. He does not lament. He does not curse. On his face is no expression of hatred or resentment. The olive branch above his head seems to whisper softly of peace. No, he, Jesus, that man, now he was he for me, with a capital H. He was not bad. He could not have been in any way wicked. Perhaps he was, or perhaps he was not, the servant of God whose canticles we read at school. Perhaps he was, or perhaps he was not, that sufferer of whom the Master told us. I did not know, but of one thing I was certain, he was good. Why, then, did they crucify him? In the book of Isaiah, there are four canticles which present to us an innocent man, purer than any other in the world. He is stricken and humiliated, exhausted by so much suffering. He dies in silence, as in silence he suffered. Then the crowd seems to recover from its fury. Why have we tormented and put to death him who bore our sins? Uh, end of quotation from Rabbi Zoli. By the way, those four canticles in Isaiah are in chapters 42, 49, 50, 52, and 53. And let me just interject here um, something which comes across very strongly in this account of Rabbi Zoli, which is the power of sacramentals for conversion. Uh, Rabbi Zoli is describing this deep conversion experience, actually, he had at eight, due solely to being, in some sense, under the influence of a crucifix hanging on the wall. Uh, obviously, God uses these sacramentals. God uses these images. In my case, I know he used uh, Christmas carols, for instance, played on the radio, um, and, and, and figures from, from uh, popular fiction that conveyed uh, an element of Christianity. The One should not underestimate 
the effect of simply a visible, a visible pious presence will have because it becomes a vehicle that God can use to inspire people and to um, kind of bring down a presence of the Holy Spirit in their mind and in their heart, as he obviously did so powerfully for the eight-year-old Zoli when he was simply studying in the dining room of his you know, schoolmate friend under, under a crucifix. So, uh, and also, by the way, I'll point out this was a crucifix. This wasn't just a cross. It was a crucifix with an expressive image of the body of Christ. And um, so I'll just put in a little advertisement for the Catholic Church and the fact that the Catholic Church still maintains the use of the crucifix as opposed to simply a cross. And there's a great loss when that crucifix is replaced by the... Um, generic cross or the symbolic cross because one loses the ability to gaze to gaze at Jesus on the cross anyway continuing with the story of Rabbi Zoli Zoli continued his studies both in secular universities and in rabbinical college becoming at the unprecedentedly young age of 37 the chief rabbi of Trieste one of the most important Jewish centers in Europe at the time He was consumed with a love for his Jewish people and for God, but also filled with loving sympathy for the crucified one. In his autobiography, Zoli quotes words written by Henry Bergson, a famous Jewish philosopher who was also drawn to Catholicism, as similar to his own attitude toward Catholicism at the time of his appointment as chief rabbi of Trieste. In other words, the words that I'm about to read were written by Henry Bergson, not by Rabbi Zoli, but Rabbi Zoli quoted them as describing his own feelings. My thinking has always brought me nearer to Catholicism, in which I saw the perfect complement of Judaism. I would have embraced it if I had not witnessed the frightful wave of anti-Semitism which for some years deluged the world. I preferred to remain with those who would be persecuted tomorrow. Nevertheless, I hope that a Catholic priest may come to recite the prayers of, at my funeral. If not, a rabbi would have to be called, but without hiding from him or anyone else, my moral adhesion to Catholicism. So uh, Rabbi Zoli is saying here that he was uh, drawn to Catholicism and would have um, become Catholic, but for his sense of loyalty to his Jewish people, especially in the face of the persecution, which they were undergoing at the time, which was also the story of Henry Bergson, which is also the story of Simone Weil, um, who another very famous Jewish, uh, actually, philosopher, who knew the truth of Catholicism, but did not want to formally convert. She lived during the Holocaust because she did not want to separate herself from her people in their greatest moment of suffering. Uh, back to the text about Rabbi Zoli. Rabbi Zoli remained the chief rabbi of Trieste from 1918 to 1938. During this period, he also distinguished himself as an academic and a scholar, writing several important scholarly works and becoming professor of Semitic languages at the University of Padua, where many of his students were priests. Zoli notes in his autobiography, even at that time they were remembering me in their holy masses, asking God, as they told me years later, for my conversion. 
One of the books he wrote during this period was a study of Jesus of Nazareth entitled The Nazarene, which, although written from a Jewish perspective, was entirely sympathetic to the person of Jesus and so consistent with Catholic doctrine that an archbishop in Rome told Zoli, quote, Everyone is susceptible of errors, but so far as I can see as a bishop, I could sign my name to this book, close quote. So in other words, Rabbi Zoli, as a Jewish rabbi long before his conversion, wrote an account of Jesus of Nazareth from a Jewish perspective, which was so consistent with Catholicism that a Catholic bishop said he could give it his imprimatur. Back to the text. In 1939, Zoli left Trieste to become the chief rabbi and spiritual leader of the Jewish community in Rome. When four years later, the Nazis took control of Rome, Zoli did all he could to protect the Jewish community. At one point, the Nazis demanded a ransom of 50 kilograms of gold within 36 hours to spare the Jews. Despite Zoli's frantic efforts, with a few hours left, they were still short 15 kilos. At that point, Zoli secretly paid a call on the Vatican. The Holy Father, Pope Pius XII, immediately offered to provide the needed gold. So, again, I mean, we are living in a culture which has um, spread all kinds of malicious lies about the Catholic Church and about Pope Pius XII during the Holocaust. But this is incontrovertible that uh, Pope Pius XII offered to provide the gold out of the Vatican treasury itself to ransom the Jews of Rome from the threat of deportation to the concentration camps um, during the, the Nazi occupation of Rome. Continuing, Zoli's final conversion experience took place in 1944 while he was celebrating the Yom Kippur services, the most solemn holiday of the Jewish liturgical year, as chief rabbi of Rome. In his words, quote, It was the Day of Atonement in the fall of 1944, and I was presiding over the religious service in the temple. The day was nearing its end, and I was all alone in the midst of a great number of persons. I began to feel as though a fog were creeping into my soul. It became denser, and I wholly lost touch with the men and things around me. And just then... I saw with my mind's eye a meadow sweeping upward with bright grass. In this meadow I saw Jesus Christ, clad in a white mantle, and beyond his head the blue sky. I experienced the greatest interior peace. If I were to give an image of the state of my soul at that moment, I should say a crystal clear lake amid high mountains. Within my heart I found the words, You are here for the last time. The reply of my heart was, so it is, so it shall be, so it must be. Later, my wife, my daughter, and I were at home for supper after the fast. Suddenly, my wife said to me, Today, while you were before the Ark of the Torah, it seemed to me as if the white figure of Jesus put his hands on your head as if he were blessing you. I was amazed, but still very calm. At this very moment, we heard our younger daughter, Miriam, call from her room, Papa. I went to her room. What's the matter, I asked. You know, Papa, tonight I have been dreaming that I saw a very tall, white Jesus, but I don't remember what came next. 
It was a few days later that I resigned my post in the Israelite community and went to a quite unknown priest in order to receive instruction. An interval of some weeks elapsed until the 13th of February when I received the sacrament of baptism and was incorporated into the Catholic Church, the mystical body of Jesus Christ. Uh, End of citation from Rabbi Zoli's autobiography. By the way, uh, his autobiography is uh, still in print or um, back in print. Um, It was available from Roman Catholic books as Why I Became a Catholic, and I believe more recently it's available from Ignatius Press under the title of Before the Dawn. Uh, It's very worthwhile. He had a very beautiful, sensitive, spiritual soul that is reflected in his discussion of of both his own life and conversion, but also of the relationship between Judaism and the Catholic Church. So before I go on to some of the uh, things he wrote about the relationship between Judaism and the Catholic Catholic Church, let me uh, point out a few things from this um, kind of central, seminal conversion experience that he is describing. Um, He is describing, presiding over the Jewish synagogue of Rome as the chief rabbi, on the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement in 1944, the holiday of Yom Kippur is by far the um, central, deepest, uh, most spiritual, uh, biggest Jewish holiday of the year, Jewish um, liturgical celebration of the year. In the days of the Old Temple, it is the one and only day of the year when the Jewish high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the remission of sins for the entire Jewish nation. So it was absolutely the central, the central liturgical celebration of the year for the entire Jewish nation. And it was during the holiest uh, central part of this day-long service, because in fact, the service literally lasts all day. Jewish holidays begin at sundown the evening before, and they run to sundown of the day. And from sundown on the eve of Yom Kippur until, you know, probably, you know, not, you know, three or four hours later, uh, maybe two or three hours later, uh, the Jewish community is in synagogue praying. And then they reconvene in synagogue the next morning of Yom Kippur and are there until nightfall, usually with a short break uh, in the early afternoon, at least nowadays, um, to take a rest. And, of course, since it's a total fast day with no food or water, the day is, uh, can be spent uninterruptedly in prayer with, of course, no breaks either for, um, you know, uh, getting a bite to eat or a drink or even, of course, bathroom breaks since the fast is, is complete. So it's very, very solemn. So it was during the high point of that service that Rabbi Zoli was um, on the altar celebrating the service, looking out over the congregation when essentially the world around him disappeared and he saw... Jesus walking towards him through a meadow and saying within his heart, Jesus saying within Zoli's heart, you are here for the last time, and Zoli in his heart giving his agreement. Then later when he came home after the service, uh, his wife told him that she had a vision of Jesus putting his hands over his head as if he were blessing Rabbi Zoli at the same point in the service. And just after she had recounted that, 
Zoli's daughter cried out from her room that she had a dream of Jesus. So we see this extraordinary, extraordinary grace at work in his conversion. Um, and then, of course, he, uh, as, as I just read at the end of the, that account, um, he uh, entered the Catholic Church thereafter. It's in his account, actually. And um, he took the name, he took the baptismal name of um, Eugenio when he entered the Catholic Church to honor Pope Pius XII, whose Christian name was Eugenio, to thank Pope Pius XII for all he had done to save the Jews of Rome during the war, and in fact to save the Jews in general during the war. Now, uh, one of the things one reads when one reads even in the Catholic press about the conversion of Rabbi Zoli, uh, which actually kind of I find uh, theologically offensive, is you will find in some Catholic apologists who write about uh, correctly what a hero Pius XII was to the Jews of Rome, saving them and so forth, that uh, Rabbi Zoli became a Catholic in gratitude to Pius XII for all he had done to save the Jews of Rome during the war. That, of course, is incredibly offensive. Not only should one not become a Catholic out of personal gratitude to a person rather than out of a genuine belief in the faith, but it would be my understanding that he shouldn't even be received in the church if he doesn't really believe the Catholic dogma. It's, it's rather anti-theological, anti-spiritual to say that somebody should have and did become a Catholic out of uh, personal gratitude. So nothing could be further from the truth. Zoli uh, wrote in his autobiography that he already, long before World War II, essentially believed in the Catholic faith, and then he had this uh, vision of Jesus uh, basically telling him that his time as a Jewish rabbi was over, and it became obvious that it was time for him to formally enter the Catholic Church. The, the rest of his biography is actually not a happy story. I mean, it's a very happy story, excuse me, because, of course, he found the truth and became a Catholic, and is probably a very, very, very happy story now because he's probably in heaven. But from a temporal circumstances, he went from being, um, you know, quite well off, very famous, one of the most famous Jewish rabbis of Europe, if not the most famous Jewish rabbi of Europe, which comes with a lot of, you know, prestige and honors and so forth, to being a complete pariah. He, of course, uh, lost his post. He lost any ability to earn an income. He was thrown out of his um, living arrangements, which were associated with the synagogue of Rome. He was thrown into dire poverty. And um, uh, after a, a time, uh, I think living in a single room with his family, uh, you know, as, as, you know, almost homeless, I mean, totally poverty stricken, uh, he got a job from the Catholic Church uh, teaching in, in one of the Vatican institutions. I don't remember the details. And so he got a little bit on his feet again. But as a you know, poor theology teacher, as having, you know, from having been essentially the Jewish version of a cardinal, I mean, and, you know, very wealthy and influential and so forth. And he lived out his life in poverty, but I suspect in quite happy poverty, um, given what he found out. And to make things even worse, of course, the Jewish community, the worldwide Jewish community, even today, is not willing to admit that Zoli became 
a Catholic because he found the truth through, you know, uh, basically through private revelation. So they have made up a, a horribly calumnous story about him that I don't even want to repeat, but basically that he um, swindled the Jewish community of Rome, was caught and was kicked out in disgrace and uh, fled to the Catholic Church uh, kind of uh, in revenge and for refuge. Um, and even today you'll find that account in Jewish sources of what happened with Rabbi Zoli. Anyway, sad story, but there it is. Anyway, we've come to about halfway through the show, and um, I usually take a short break, and I will take a short break at this point. Um, and uh, the show is Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, and we'll be back in a few moments. Christian voice in your home. We now return to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman. Welcome back to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And I've been talking today about Rabbi Zoli, who was the uh, chief rabbi of Rome during the time of the Holocaust and who became a very enthusiastic and fervent Catholic after 
having a um, miraculous conversion experience of seeing Jesus um, while he was celebrating the Yom Kippur service as a Jew for the uh, Jewish community of Rome in the synagogue. Like all of the other Jewish converts in this book, Zoli did not view entry into the Catholic Church as a conversion away from Judaism, but as its completion. The conversion itself is the result of grace working in the soul. God, not the recipient, is the author of the conversion. As Zoli wrote, quote, The convert, like someone who is miraculously healed, is the object and not the subject of the miracle. It is false to say of someone that he himself converted, as if it were a matter of personal initiative. One does not say of someone who is miraculously healed that he healed himself, but that he was healed. One must say the same of the convert. It's kind of obvious, but it's very beautiful, right? Because we always slip into the um, habit of saying that so-and-so converted, or that if he's a convert, he converted. But it is God who affects the conversion. It is the Holy Spirit who affects the conversion. And the point that Rabbi Zoli is making here is if someone is miraculously healed, no one says he healed himself. They say he was healed, right, because it was a miracle worked by God on his physical body. I mean, imagine somebody, and this is actually a true story of somebody who went to Lourdes. You know, one leg was four inches shorter than the other. And he went into the baths and came out of the baths and his legs were the same length. You know, no one's going to say he healed himself, right? They're going to say he was healed. He was healed by the Blessed Virgin Mary or he was healed by God. It's the same thing when one converts or when a Jew converts and enters the Catholic Church. He has not converted. He was healed. He was converted. His conversion was a miraculous work of God um, on his spiritual body, not on his physical body, but analogous to a miraculous conversion of the physical body. Back to Zoli. Is conversion an infidelity, an infidelity toward the faith previously professed? Faith is an adherence, not to a tradition or family or tribe or even nation. It is an adherence of our life and our works to the will of God as it is revealed to each in the intimacy of conscience. But the Spirit of God breathes where it wills and how it wills. Unconsciously, quite unconsciously, I was beginning to find in Christianity a springtime of the Spirit, full of the expectation of new life made eternal. Christianity represented for me the object of a longing for a love which should temper my soul's winter, an incomparable beauty which should quench my desire for beauty. In the words of the Canticle of Canticles, Winter is now past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers have appeared in our land, the time of pruning has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard. The slow preparation for spiritual rebirth is much like the preparation which takes place in nature. All is accomplished in silence, and no sign appears of the wondrous event to come. All of a sudden, it seems, the earth is covered with green and the trees are decked with red and white blossom. Like snow crystal petals float in the air, and there is promise of fruit. One great biological process has reached completion, and a fresh cycle of life is taking on concrete reality becoming crystallized. The dying we saw in the autumn was only apparent. It meant the transformation of the life lived into a new life, a life to be lived. 
What seemed to die in me had left in my soul the germs of a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. When asked why he had given up the synagogue for the church, Soli replied, but I have not given it up. Christianity is the integration, completion, or crown of the synagogue. For the synagogue was a promise, and Christianity is the fulfillment of that promise. The synagogue pointed to Christianity. Christianity presupposes the synagogue. So you see, one cannot exist without the other. What I converted to was the living Christianity. It was not simply Christianity that Zoli saw as the completion of Judaism, but more specifically, the Catholic Church. His response to why he did not become Protestant was, quote, The Catholic Church was recognized by the whole Christian world as the true Church of God for 15 consecutive centuries. No one can halt at the end of those 1,500 years and say that the Catholic Church is not the Church of Christ without embarrassing himself seriously. I can accept only that church which was preached to all creatures by my own forefathers, the Twelve Apostles, who, like me, issued from the synagogue. Close quote. Zoli, rather than repudiating his Jewishness, was on the contrary proud of having Jewish blood. In explanation, he quoted the words of St. Ignatius In explanation, he quoted the words of St. Ignatius of Loyola, quote, I would consider it a special thing to be united to Christ our Lord and to Our Lady, the Glorious Virgin, with ties of blood. Close quote. So Zoli here is uh, uh, quoting St. Ignatius of Loyola. Now, St. Ignatius of Loyola, of course, lived in Spain around the 16th century when there was a, a uh, the issue of a there was a huge wave of Jewish conversion to the Catholic Church in Spain at the time because King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella in 1492 expelled all Jews from Spain uh, and they had nowhere to go. So it was actually almost a death sentence. And so many, in order not to be uh, exiled from Spain, uh, were baptized and became Catholic. Some of them were the fruit of real conversion but a huge number were false converts, which are, later became known as Moranos. So there was a lot of uh, tension in Spain in the 16th century, a lot of resentment in the genuine Catholic community against Catholics who had Jewish blood because of the suspicion that they were not genuine converts, but that they were in families who had converted in order to avoid being um, exiled, deported. So, um, so at one point, somebody accused St. Ignatius of Loyola as having Jewish blood, and his response was, it's not true, I don't have Jewish blood, but I could not consider any greater honor than to be united to Christ our Lord and Our Lady, the Glorious Virgin, with ties of blood. So you see, he turned it around and put it on his head, and I think that is actually, frankly, the genuine Catholic view of um, having Jewish blood, or should be, is that not only is it not a curse, but it's several times over a special honor. It's a special honor because the Jews were genuinely the people chosen by God before the coming of Christ to receive his revelation, a, a statement which has been um, confirmed 
by the church repeatedly since the Second Vatican Council, both in the documents of the Second Vatican Council and by uh, St. Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict and so forth. Um, And also it's an honor because the Jews are blood relatives of Jesus and Mary. So on that rather happy note, we have come to the end of today's program. Uh, this is Roy Showman. Uh, this is the, the show on Radio Maria, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. We have spent today talking about uh, Rabbi Zoli, a very notable and noble Jewish entrant in the Catholic Church. And uh, I hope you join us again next week when we will talk more about Jesus as the Promised Messiah of Judaism. Uh, this is Roy Showman saying goodbye. Hope you join us again next week on Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism. Bye for now.